One of my favorite things to do on YouTube is to watch videos of people being arrested. I love it. I absolutely love when, when someone gets pulled over and they're like, let me see some ID, and they're like, uh, I, don't, I don't have any. And, and it's just really fun, right? So I love when people act as if they know who they are and they know they're criminals and they don't want to give over their ID. I also love when people know who they are and they show their ID. Uh, I, I love especially when like political people or judges uh, get pulled over. One of my favorites is like a head of police chief gets pulled over going like 100 miles an hour and his wife's like, you do know who he is, right? And they're like, no ma'am, I don't. And then they tell him, he's like, oh, okay, all right, slow it down, you know. And uh, anyways, I, I love watching people get arrested. And it's funny because a lot of crazy things start happening when they ask for that ID. It's very important. Uh, the police can discern a lot of information through that. Or if you're somebody, you might be able to get out of that ticket. I, for one, keep my chaplain badge sitting on the dashboard of my truck. For if I ever get pulled over, they say, what badge is that? And then Ashley got pulled over one time and said, what badge is that? And she said, my husband's a chaplain. I said, perfect, just like we trained. And she got out of the ticket. That's what I'm talking about. Love it. But it's really important. And, and the reason they ask for that idea is they need to know who you are. And in the text that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to do a few things with the Corinthian church. But the final thing he's going to do is he's going to remind them who they are. And when you remember who you are, for the Corinthians, it was those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of their sins, called to holiness, to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And he says, this is who you are. Here is your ID. In case you forgot, this is who you are. Act like it. And so as we move into our text today, let's ask the Lord to remind us who we are and what have we been called to do. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to be marching our way down through almost the whole chapter. We're going to get all the way down through verse 17. But we're going to do it in three or four different spurts. And so read with me verses 1 through 4 to begin. He says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. In, in fact, you are still not ready, sorry, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? And so what we see right out of the gate, and we're, it's going to unfold, this point is an unfolding point, but what we see right out is that the Corinthians' worldliness caused them to experience a failure to thrive. The Corinthian worldliness caused them to experience a failure to thrive. 
If you're just now joining us, let me get you caught up to speed. In the first two chapters, what is happening is the whole reason for this letter being written by Paul is because Paul found out from some folks that they were talking mess. He hears from a couple co-workers. He gets an update from the church in Corinth that says some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, who was the a leader after Paul. Some follow Peter. Some said, I just follow Jesus, right? The really arrogant ones. I don't, I follow Jesus. Anyways, and so they've got all this division going on in their church. And Paul writes to them in the first chapter. He says, I love you. I pray for you constantly. Now, a um, couple things. And he's calling, he begins to call them back to unity in a very loving way. And then chapter 2, he just flat out explains, here's where you're wrong, church. You've got, you're dividing Jesus, and Jesus isn't divided. So we've got to be unified around the fact that Christ died on the cross, rose from the, day, rose from the grave, and is, in fact, our Savior. And so this is what's going on in chapters 1 and 2. And now in chapter 3, now remember, they were insulting Paul, saying that he is inferior. He's not as good as the other pastors of the church. He's not worthy. He's not trustworthy. They themselves have surpassed Paul the apostle in their spiritual knowledge. They're dealing with a lot of arrogance and pride in their church. And Paul is, is dealing with this. And so right out he says, again, remember, the whole purpose is because they said he's not worthy to teach them anymore. They are far surpassed his level of teaching. And he says, for my part, okay, he told him he loved them. He called them out on what they're struggling with. And now he says, for my part, for my part, brothers and sisters, family in Christ, I was not able to speak with you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies. So he, he, he starts out and says, listen, if you say that I didn't teach you the deep ways of discipleship, let me remind you I nursed you. You were lost when I met you. I told you about Jesus. God saved your soul. And for 18 months, I nursed every single one of you. How, how many moms in here realize their kids are ungrateful, right? If you've ever nursed or had to feed a baby, whether it's a bottle or your body, it's hard, okay? And so Paul is hearing these ungrateful little kids saying, you're not nothing. And he says, let me remind you, I fed you for 18 months Okay, you were a baby. I didn't give you a T-bone because you were a baby and you didn't have teeth. And so he's explaining to them, he says, on my part, for the beginning, I gave you milk. You were a baby. And he says, I didn't give you solid food because you weren't ready for it yet. And he says, in fact, so there's nothing wrong at this point. Nothing wrong up to this point. He says, in fact, though, you're still not ready. He says, you're still not ready for me to go deeper because as long as you're having envy and strife, you can't handle the truth. A great movie, right? I want the truth. That's what they're saying. You can't handle the truth. And so Paul is saying to them, you, you want me to go deeper, but yet, let's talk about what is envy and strife. He says they're worldly, so the reason they're not ready to go deeper in their faith is because they're worldly, and he defines being worldly in this context as envy and strife. Envy was a problem of deep resentment towards someone, and strife meant out of your frustration, it was a generally a verbal attack. 
And so this is what's happening in the church, okay? You ready? That these church members have written to Paul and complained to Paul saying, You're, you stink, you're not important, we're smarter than you. And he's like, okay, let me just have a quick conversation. Let's just clear the air here. So you guys are better than me, but you can't eat deep food, you can't eat solid food, and you're super jealous of people, and you have resentment because some of them follow this way, some of them follow this way, and instead of squashing that in humility and allowing others to be a little bit different than you, you actually verbally attack one another in the church because they're not like you. Hmm, seems like a schoolyard fight amongst a bunch of children. So Paul says, on my part, listen, I wanted to go deeper with you, but you weren't ready. And here's why. Because you guys would rather fight over your preferences than proclaim the gospel. And so how can you teach someone to love one another? How can you teach someone to pray for one another? As I think about the steps of maturity and faith, I don't know. I don't know them all. But I remember when I first got saved, the, the first step was quit doing the big sins, Right? Many of you are like, I quit getting drunk all the time. Great, that's a great first step. There's so much more, okay? And then what's crazy is when I was first saved, it was like quit cussing, quit doing all these crazy, horrible, immoral things. Awesome. But now I feel more sinful than I've ever been in my entire life because I have these little children that constantly press my buttons. And I realize how selfish I am, how impatient I am, how unkind I am. I got a wife that needs me to serve her and love her, and it's really hard to do that. And so this is the deeper things. She's not hard to love. Sorry, I saw some laughs there. Let me, let me be clear. She's awesome. I sing. But she's a sinner too. Anyways, and so, but uh, it's like these are the deeper things. When I was first a baby in Christ, it was quit cussing, quit big sinning. Now that I'm older in Christ, I'm like, man, God, I just want to wake up and want you. I just want to wake up and not sin. I want to, I want to not be lazy. I want to not hit snooze. Lord, I want, to, I want to care about my family more than I care about myself. Lord, I want to pastor this church. And so you, as you go deeper into the faith, you start realizing it's harder and harder, and you, but it's so much more satisfying. And so Paul is saying, I wanted to tell you these things, but you were too busy throwing verbal punches at each other over who does what. I couldn't go deeper with you. And so I, I wonder, what, what can we take away from this for our own modern day? Some of you are sitting here thinking, am I a solid food eater or am I a spiritual milk eater? Here's a great litmus test. If your life looks like a mess, you're probably growing and probably eating solid food. When we began teaching our daughter, how little Ava how to eat solid food, we gave her avocados. They were solid but soft. Let me tell you, it was over her whole face. She looked like the Grinch. It was over all of her hands and arm, and then she would Pablo Picasso her entire little high chair. It's just green, 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 and that's what she looked like. And I remember looking at her, and I was like, this is what discipleship looks like. Is you're like, I need you to go to the next step here. Make a huge mess of your life right now. But two months from now, it'll be nicer. Two months from now, I can just put things in front of you and you'll know to devour it, but you'll never get there if you don't start being messy. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about, am I a self-feeder? 
as the women talked about in their women's gathering last time, am I a self-feeder or do I only feed on the Word of God when someone else prepares it for me? That is a huge differentiation between mature and immature. And so how can we not be worldly? He says, uh, you're behaving like mere humans. Uh, You've got this envy and you've got this strife. He's calling them to something deeper. He's calling them to something deeper. I remember um, what came to me as I was, as I was uh, preparing for this was there is a childhood or there is a, a medical diagnosis called failure to thrive. If you've ever heard of that, failure to thrive can be diagnosed in infants, toddlers, and young children um, because they are significantly below the healthy measurements of children their age. And so this, this failure to thrive can be diagnosed by two things. One is internal and one is external. And so the internal is kind of like a chromosome issue. You've got something wrong inside of you and you're going to need some help to, to fix that deficiency. The external is, is your environment. So maybe you live in, a, in an abusive or a neglectful home life. And so that can cause a failure to thrive. Now, let's think about that medical diagnosis and let's apply that to the Christian walk, okay? Let's say that when you got saved, it's not wrong to have milk. Every baby needs milk, okay? And so when we all get saved, let's just say similar to the Corinthians, six months in, we're gobbling it up. 18 months in, we still got the milk. Two years though? Four years? Six years? If you're still on milk at eight years, there's a problem. That's a spiritual condition called failure to thrive. And let's look at those two reasons why failure to thrive happens, internal or external. Internally, possibly something's wrong. Maybe you just misunderstood part of the gospel. We've we've seen this take place with people who get saved and they think that Jesus is going to fix their marriage, give them money, and make their job, give them a promotion. That's the false gospel called prosperity gospel. It's not biblical. Most of Jesus' disciples were murdered, okay? We can't forget this stuff. And so, so maybe you've wrongly misunderstood what the gospel is. Maybe you need the reminder that the call to follow Christ is a call to die to yourself and live for Christ. So maybe one of the reasons that you've failed to thrive is because you've misunderstood what thriving looks like. If a new job and a a booming 401k or a Roth IRA is what thriving, then you're never going to thrive in your faith. And so maybe you've internally understood something wrong about that. Maybe maybe you're super embarrassed to ask questions on how to read the Bible, and you don't want anyone to know that you don't know the Bible. Let me tell you, if you keep staying in the silent, everybody's going to know you don't know the Bible. Okay? It's like, I don't want to look stupid. You're going to look stupid in like a year from now when you keep doing the wrong thing. Just ask. Just ask. All of us have done the stupid thing too. It's called the Christian walk, and we get less stupid every year, Lord willing. Another problem, this one's a little bit more serious, is what came to mind was the parable of the sower. The, the farmer th- sowed the seed on four different soils. Those soils represent souls that heard the gospel. The first one, uh, the first three, really, one's on the path, one's in the rocks, one's in the weeds, one's on fertile soil. And the fertile soil bears fruit. It thrives. 
The other three fail to thrive. And so here's what I want to say to you. Maybe perhaps you prayed a prayer, but you didn't truly understand the gospel or surrender your life to Jesus. Two of the most powerful testimonies in our church. By the way, there's a lot of references to members in our church today, and I didn't get permission for any of them. So just go ahead and give me some grace. Two of the most powerful testimonies in our church is Anthony Waters and Emily Hicks. Anthony and Emily both prayed a prayer in their teenage years, or even maybe even younger than that, and thought for over two decades that they were right with Christ. And it was when they began hearing the gospel week in and week out here, and they began watching as other people thrived in their faith. They, they saw other people have a vibrancy they didn't have. They saw people have a peace they didn't have, and they saw people experiencing Christ in a way they'd never experienced it, and so they said, God, I don't know what I got wrong, but I believe. Forgive me of my sins, and it's been amazing to watch the transformation in these two lives, and so listen, if you have a failure to thrive, perhaps there's something internally you just misunderstood, or maybe you're simply Simply not saved. Now, I don't want to like cause you to doubt your salvation, but this is just a real thing. Sometimes we, we get swept up in something, we pray a prayer, but we, I always say this when people make professions of faith if you're not different a year from now, then you're not saved. If you don't hate your sin more, if you don't love Jesus more, then you need to do some further examination as to what really took place in that moment when you say you surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe some of you are experiencing a failure to thrive and you suffer from some of those internal, uh, treat, or internal symptoms. Maybe it's external. Maybe it's external. Maybe there's, uh, typically this is like an abusive church and, and truly before the Lord, I know of no abuse or neglect going on in this church. If you think that there is, I would really like to know and we will immediately address that, Okay. But maybe it's, maybe it's a past church. Maybe you had a rough go at a past church and your hurt in your heart is causing you to not trust this church. And so maybe you're killing it with your time with the Lord and you have great Bible time. You got some good podcasts on deck, but it's, it's hard for you to make any connections with people here because you've got some past pain that's caused you to, to neglect the body of believers. Maybe that's something you're going through. Maybe it's a personal pain that you have. Maybe it's a personal pain that you have and, and, and there's just something holding you up. The, the biblical call for how to fix that is, is two things that I can think of. Is one is share that burden with someone else. Go to a brother or sister in this church that you trust and say, listen, I've got some trust issues. Hey, listen, I've got some bitterness issues. Hey, listen, maybe it's not even just that. Maybe you've got a sin problem in your life. Confess that to a brother or sister in this church and say, pray for me, okay? And then the other thing, I mean, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then there's the other thing, and I want to say this, and I want to be clear. I want you to see me behind this pulpit, and I want you to hear clearly what I'm saying. You might should get some counseling, okay? Counseling has a bad stigma, and we need to get rid of that bad stigma. Some of the godliest people I know are in counseling right now. If you listen to the podcast on the problem of pornography, um, that pastor is still currently going to counseling because him and his wife just uncovered some pain that they had from 30 years prior in their marriage. Listen, God has gifted the church with people who are unbelievably good at helping you process through pain. If you can't afford it, come talk to us. We might be able to help you get started with a few of them, okay? 
But here's the deal. If you are experiencing a failure to thrive, it's either internally caused or it's externally caused, both of which, praise God for the resurrection, can be overcome. Now, if you have failure to thrive in in real life, there's three things they recommend. One, a well-balanced diet. Two, change your family dynamic. And three, possible hospitalization for direct treatment to get you back where you need to be. So here's what I want to say as you think about your spiritual walk with Christ. If you're experiencing a failure to thrive, if you're looking at other brothers and sisters in Christ and they're significantly further ahead of you, we're not supposed to compare to them, right? But you can take an honest assessment and be like, oh, I feel like I should be further by now. (laughs) What's your diet look like and what's your family dynamic look like? You cannot, you cannot. Now, I'm going to be clear with what I say. You cannot have a thriving relationship with Jesus without a consistent intake of God's word and a consistent fellowship with God's people. Your your diet has to be well-balanced in the word of God. Maybe that's where those friends come and say, listen, dude, I haven't read the Bible in two years. I got saved two years ago. I've never read the Bible. I need help. Okay, get ready to work your butt off and someone will help you, okay? Say, man, I, my Bible time's awesome, but I like never at church. <laughs> well, any of those people aren't here today, so hopefully they're watching live. I don't know. As I wrote this sermon, I was like, "What's funny is that anyone who might need to hear this probably won't be there." And uh, so, what's your diet look like? Are you consistently getting God's word into your heart, and are you constantly or consistently getting your heart around God's people? Doing those two things will help you to overcome a failure to thrive. Look, podcasts are great, sermons are great, but if you don't learn to feed yourself with the word of God, you will wither in your faith. If you need help, ask for help. So Paul starts off and he says to them, he says, for my part, I wanted to go deeper, but the Corinthian worldliness caused them to experience a failure to thrive So he moves on from that issue, and then he begins talking about his work ethic among them. So now look with me in verses 5 through 9. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role that the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Pause. This whole issue comes down to the Corinthians are attributing an ungodly and un or an inappropriate amount of praise and fame to their teachers. And Paul is saying to them, listen, who is Paul? Who's Apollos? I planted, Apollos came in and watered, but God gave the growth. He's He is wanting to redirect their praise to the Lord. I absolutely love this passage because I I remember one time we were were sitting in 
uh, a base camp, this is the first time like I shook in my boots with fear and thought, oh God, we're in trouble, is we're sitting at a base camp, and I said, how did you get connected to the church? And, and I, I hope you know, I know I'm a fool of enough to not, to not think of myself too highly in this moment, okay? But I mean, someone said, oh, I met Tyler and connected with Tyler. Oh, Tyler, Tyler. There was like six families, and all of them said me, and I was like, oh, dear Lord, we are in trouble. These people are in for a rude awakening of me letting them down. And I, this was early on in the church, and I just remember saying, Lord, help them make connections with other people. Help them meet our other leaders. Like, I, I don't want this. And and it was really, really cool. Last night, we have, a, we have a partner of ours in. He was working in Colorado this week, and Tim has been a partner of our church for a long time, and he scooted on up just so he could be here before he leaves for Iowa in about like 30 minutes. And so, um, but he's here, and, and Trent and I went to dinner with Tim last night, and Trent said, thank you for your partnership uh, of the Martins, because all I know is the fact that he's here now, I'm on my way to heaven. And he said, so thank you for your partnership in the gospel. And, and it was a beautiful moment, and, and, and truly... I have no credit to take there. Yeah, we came, but who did the work? God. And so this is incredibly important for us as we think about this in our lives. I remember my pastor used to tell me all the time, Tyler, if I take credit for my good kids, I got to take credit for the bad kids. I'd rather just put it all on God. And so here's the deal. This is applicable with your children. This is applicable with your nieces, your nephews, your coworkers, your friends, You can plant, you can water, but you can't make people grow. You do what you're called to do and let God grow them in their faith. How many of you have someone right now on your mind that you're thinking, I wish to to everything I have, I can make someone grow, and you can't. And so throw yourself into the, the, the beautiful, gracious arms of God and say, Lord, you do it. You do something in their life to make them grow. So he says all these things to them, and he says, uh, now the one who plants and the one who waters are none. And I love this because it's a great word for our church. We've seen some amazing things done in Outfitter Church, haven't we? It's been amazing. It's not to my credit. It's not to Lance's credit. It's not to Shannon's credit. None of our pastors can take the credit. We planted, we water, God gives the growth. It's incredibly important for you to know in any relationship in which you're pouring into someone else, it's God who makes them grow. It's not how much you study for that Bible study. It's not how perfect you share the gospel. God does the work. Now, does that mean we get to be lazy, right? I forgot to say the point of this is that we labor, but God gives the growth. That's the point we see in in these next few verses is that we labor, but God gives the growth. And so if God's going to do the growth, well, then we just probably shouldn't work that hard, should we? Absolutely not. So let's look, let's look now at verse 10. We're going to go 10 through 15. It says, according, I keep speaking before I take my drink. It's a rookie move. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. And another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, 
he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as you think about what's going on here, I think we need to unpack this. So he says, I labored as a skilled master builder. Why? Because when I die, my work for the Lord is going to be put through the fire of God. And if it's not good work, it'll be gone. Now I'm still getting in, but there will be no reward for all of the labor of all of my years. So let's just know, because this is true, I think it begs the question, how do we labor in such a way that our work makes it through the fire. If this is true, and we know that it is, how do we labor in a way that our work makes it through the fire? Okay? Be clear, this is not any like saving work, okay? The one who did bad work still gets in, because they were saved by grace. But we are called to faithfully labor. And so Paul says, I, I labored as a skilled master builder. And listen, if he can labor like that and the Corinthians still have all the problems they have, your kids are just fine, okay? You're not skilled master builder. Maybe you are, and we all can be. But even a skilled master builder just can't, the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? It's not on you, but you're called to labor. And so here's a few things that I was thinking of that how can we, how can we have our work make it through the fire as a reward for the end in eternity? Ready? The first thing, you'll find it in verse, I missed it, verse 11, sorry. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Okay, let me ask you this, okay? If you're, if you're a note taker, this is a great time to take notes. Ready? Here's our foundational question. Who has God put in your life where you have the opportunity of influence. Who has God put in your life where you have an opportunity to influence their life? That right there, the answer to that question, that's your mission field. That's where you labor, okay? If you're a parent, your children must be on that list, okay? Um, if you uh, are an aunt or an uncle, these are your nieces, these are your nephews. Okay, if you're a boss, these are your employees. Who in your life do you have the opportunity to influence their life? Okay? That's your mission field, right? So my first question is, is with those people you have an opportunity to influence, are you laying a foundation of Jesus Christ? Dude, in Wyoming, you could be a nice, generous, kind, benevolent person, and you could be a Mormon, you could be a Catholic, you could be a Jehovah's Witness, you could be uh, a pagan. You really could. You could even be an atheist, to be honest with you. You could be any of those things that aren't Christian and be all, like a really nice employee. So there needs to be something about your life or the words you speak that the people who you have the opportunity to influence know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father but through Him, okay? 
Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, nice for you to say, Pastor, I don't have a pulpit to work behind. Um, And let me push back a little bit, okay? First reason I want to push back is because Jesus says you're wrong. So if you say, I can't share the gospel where I work, I'm going to say you're wrong. And here's why. Jesus says in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. A great way to understand that phrasing there is go therefore and urge people to follow Jesus. Okay? No one has more authority than Jesus. You might get fired, but you have the authority. So let me give you some encouraging stories. Um, one of my professors told me that one of the coolest things I heard in all of seminary, his, his wife is a public school educator, and she was wrestling with this issue of sharing the gospel in her school and thinking she was going to get in trouble. And he told her, he says, you go tell those kids about Jesus, and if you get fired, it was God's will, and he will provide. I was like, man, that is some boldness. And then it reminded me of two people who had a huge hand in my life. Okay, so you have Coach Evans. Coach Evans uh, taught football and and baseball, and uh, was a teacher in algebra, I think. He was my math teacher in high school. <clears throat> Coach Evans heard me acting a fool one day at baseball practice, and I claimed to be a Christian, but I wasn't yet. And Coach Evans didn't know that, but he, afterwards, he took me aside, and he pulled me into the dugout after a baseball practice. He says, you aren't acting like the Christian you say you are. You're not living up to the potential God has for you in your life, and I would love to see you act right and live in a way that honors God. Church, I gave my life to Christ two months after that. That was one of the inciting events that showed me I was lost. He wasn't afraid of me tattling on him. He wasn't afraid of getting, losing his job. God gave him opportunity to influence my life, and he laid a foundation for Christ. Another one of my favorite stories is a man named Gerald Estes. In Fort Worth, Texas, you can pass by on I-35, Miller Brewing Company, right? And you can smell when they're brewing, too, because it's very yeasty. And, and so Miller, if you've ever had a Miller Light, that was part of it was possibly brewed in Fort Worth, Texas. And so Gerald Estes was a very godly man that worked for Miller Brewing Company. Funny guy, didn't drink at all. And he told me, he said that, that at one point in time, their staff meetings would consist of all of them getting free beer. That was a perk of working there. They'd all get drunk and then do their staff meeting. If you could only imagine how they're still in business. And so Gerald said, I'm so tired of, of watching this foolery go on. And he stands up and he says, we're done. We're going to meet first. If you guys want to get drunk after, that's fine. But I'm not wasting my time watching you get drunk. And then we do our meeting. Let's work first. You drink later. And they were like, that's all right. That's good. He works hard. We'll listen to him. And then what happened is over like two or three decades of him working there, people found out Gerald loves Jesus and Gerald loves his wife. So men began coming to him as their lives were unraveling and falling apart. And they said, Gerald, what do I do? And he said, trust in Jesus. And he told them the gospel. And he told them to get into the Bible. And he told them to get into a church. And then his bosses, the word got around that the evangelist Gerald was going on a rampage. And so the bosses came and said, Gerald, you can't be telling our employees about Jesus. And he says, listen, I didn't start the conversation. I won't go out just preaching out to everybody, but if someone comes to me and asks me a question, I'm going to give them the truth. And if you don't like that, you can fire me. And he retired from there. 
So here's what I want to say. You have the authority to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ. No matter where you work, no matter who it is. Now, there's timing, right? Hey, principals, I know it's my first day on the job. Let me tell you something. I love Jesus, and if you don't, you're going to hell, and I'm going to tell all these kids about it. It's like, that might be your last day working there, okay? So there is some strategery that could be used, but you have the authority. So the first way to have labor for the Lord that makes it through the fire is to lay a foundation of Jesus Christ. The second thing is do less better, Okay? This was uh, something that God put on my heart as I read through this, and man, I just thought, God, I, I want my work to make it. I don't want to get, I don't want my labor to be burned up. I'm glad I'm getting in, but I would like to take a reward with me. So here's what I want to say to you. This is a problem all across America. It's certainly a problem in our church, and I see it in the, in the weary, awesome, amazing members that you are. Some of you, perhaps, you need to step up and do some more things. Maybe like three, Okay. But for the majority of this church, I want to tell you, you are unbelievably amazing. Your service to the Lord is truly unmatched. In my experience, very little experience, but take it for what it's worth. It's, it's unbelievable to watch. I'm so proud of our church, but I want, to, I want to say this word to you. I feel like, I'm getting a little charismatic here, I feel like the Lord gave me this for our church. Do less better, Okay? That comes from a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a phenomenal book, but do less better. Here's what I'm saying. Some of you are doing too much. I used to make fun of my wife. I'd come home, and there's like 15 unfinished tasks. I'm like, what, what did you not do today? Horrible thing to ask, by the way. But I remember asking, like, what, what, what's going on? What's going on with, uh, with the house? And then I started being a better husband and started helping more. Started taking the kids so my wife can get out of the house. And now when my wife comes home, there's like 30 unfinished tasks. Breakfast and lunch plates still on the table, if I even got a new one for them, okay? Dishwasher opened and halfway unloaded. The house looks like three bombs of dresses went off, okay? The kids have almost no clothing on. There's marker all over them. It truly looks like someone very incompetent has been parenting, and that's true. And, and, when, I, and when Ashley gets home, I'm like, hey, babe, I was doing the dishes, and then Annie pooped herself. And then I fed them dinner, and then she got into the Sharpie box. And then I, it's just like all these unfinished tasks. It's impossible. I think it's impossible to finish tasks as a parent if you have more than one kid that's alive. And, and so this is crazy. And, and so here's the deal. Some of us treat Jesus like that. If I were to look at your life and you were to expose all that you're doing, you've got so much on your plate, so many irons in the fire that when it comes to what you're doing for the Lord, it's halfway done, incomplete, and never got your full devotion. Guys, multitasking is a myth. I'm not saying you can't say something to someone and cook a meal, but you can't divide your heart multiple times over multiple things and do anything well. My little girl is the hardest worker I've ever met besides her mother. And she's all like, hey, babe, pick up your toys. And she picks up all 90 of them. And as she walks, she's just got like a little Hansel and Gretel trail of toys because she can't hold them on. I said, hey, it's better to do one thing well than a bunch of things poorly. 
I need to take that advice myself. But church, I want you to hear me. Do less and do it better. Some of you truly, I, I, I know it, you're going to need, there's no, I don't think you can take anything with you when you die. The Bible says it's just us, right? But I think some of you are going to have luggage filled with all the Bible studies and ministries you're a part of. And you're going to go, here, Jesus, here's 55 things that I did for you in my life. Look at them. Look at, boy, I was busy. Oh my gosh. I was, every time someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm good. I'm busy. Bless the Lord. And then he's going to be like, all right, let's, let's just go ahead and turn on this furnace. And you have like two or three things left. What a broken day to realize the things you labored your whole life for won't even make it because you were so half-hearted in your devotion to them that they didn't make it through the fire. Wouldn't it be better to have five things that you do great? Five things that when you get to the Lord, you say, I gave these things. I was ruthlessly devoted to these people, these things things. And then go through the fire and have all five left. That would be amazing. Some of you are simply too busy to do what God is wanting you to do. Because here's, here's what I want to say. If you're saying yes to every ministry endeavor, some of the things you've said yes to do not have God's blessing on them. Jesus was doing a full day of ministry one time, and then he got up the next morning, and he went to go pray while it was still dark. His disciples come and find him. They're like, Jesus, so many people are now at the house ready to be healed. They want, they want you to minister to them. Every single one of us would be like, that's awesome. That's what I was just praying for is more ministry. And you run back to that house. Does Jesus do that? No. Jesus says, let's go, guys. We need to go do ministry in this next town. And the disciples are absolutely baffled because we would have set up a live stream. We would have had an Asbury revival. Let's keep this thing going. Jesus says, yeah, but the Lord told me to go here. In order to walk in the will of God, you're going to have to leave awesome, godly opportunities undone because they're for someone else, not you. If you're saying yes to everything, Something you said yes to does not have God's blessing on it. Saying no, I get like a new ministry endeavor every month. I say no to almost all of them. I'm like, no, my church is way too awesome. I don't have time for you. And I want to share a personal story here. Last year, I recognized I was saying yes to too much. I realized my name is Tyler Martin, not Jesus the Messiah. Began a repenting process asked Lance and Shannon to preach more for me. Had to end the podcast. Couldn't keep up with it. Had to say no to several commitments I was in. Had to bail on several things. Didn't invite hardly anyone into our home for about a year because Annie was miserable. And that was a hard season of parenting. We just didn't have anything left in the tank. I remember as elders, we shared about this and, and we began doing less, but doing it better. We began doing less work and praying more for the work we are doing. So awesome. March 2022, last year, okay, this is the first week of March, we were averaging 44 people. We have 44 members now. There's 92 people here today. That's crazy. Our average attendance is now 77. Interesting, while I was killing myself trying to build the church, Jesus wouldn't bless it. When I repented, got out of the driver's seat and said, Jesus, take the wheel. We, we doubled in a year. 
do less and do it better. Some of you are far too busy to do what God is really calling you to do in your life. And so if you will lay a foundation of Christ and if you'll do less better, I truly believe that many of us will have a lot more work make it through the fire on that last day. The last thing I want to look at this passage is he says, don't you yourselves know you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Here is the identity check. Don't you know who you are? Twofold approach to why this is so important. He says, don't you know you're God's temple? God's temple is meant for worship. You're yelling at each other. And when you're yelling at someone else in the church, you're yelling at a little temple. That little temple's made for worship, and you're literally getting in the way of God's worship now. So one, you forgot who you are, and because you forgot who you are, you forgot the consequences of what you're doing. I remember Lee Overstreet told me one of the funniest stories. Where's he at? I want him to know. Oh, of course. Every time I call on someone, they're in the bathroom. That's awful. Sorry, guys. One time Lee tells me, he says, hey, man, I got to tell you about this parenting moment that I had. And one of their children um, was getting pretty mouthy with mom, getting mouthy with Melissa. Spoke to her in a very disrespectful way. I don't know what all it was said, but, but I remember Lee said he stepped in. He says, no one speaks to my wife like that. <laughs> he said, the eyes of said child was like, uh-oh, he ain't daddy no more. <laughs> now he's a mad husband. <laughs> so he recognized that sides were taken, and he was insulting a very strong man's wife. And, and I think that sometimes we forget how that plays out in the church. I forgot. I read this, and I went, oh, my goodness, I don't ever want to say another harsh word about anybody ever the rest of my life. Because when you speak a harsh word of resentment in the church, when you spread gossip in the church, when you're unkind in the church, you're not just being petty towards the person you want to get at. You're actually hindering worship of God, and that puts you in the line of God's judgment, a place where we don't want to be. So he says, don't forget who you are. Anything you do that's hindering worship is not smart on your behalf. But then the, the positive side of that is a reminder, you are holy. Why did Paul, why did Paul, why was he sad that they had a failure to thrive? Why did he labor as a skilled master builder? Why is he writing this letter to them? Why is he forgiving them? Why is he still praying for them? Why is he not so angry? He's, he's doing all of this because he says, you are God's temple and you're holy. You've been saved. There's something for you. We're going to keep going. What I want to say to you, Outfitter Church, is that you are worth all the work it takes. You're worth all the work it takes from our elders to shepherd you, our deacon to serve you, and for every member, everything you do to make this church a healthy church. See, you are equally as important as every elder. By the way, I just want to remind you, I know we have elders and deacons and members, every single role is equally important. 
the sacrifices you make to be a healthy church, it's worth it. Every conversation you've done, every prayer time you've had, every meal you've had, every coffee you've shared, for the members of this church, for the family that you live in, we are all little temples meant to worship Jesus. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And here's the deal. I want to be a part of your life. I want to see praise from your life come up to the heavens. And I want to see the work that you do here in this church. I want to see it last through the fire. So let's not forget who we are. I'm going to ask our band to come up here as we close. I find this passage beautiful because it's so real, isn't it? We can relate to it, can't we? We can relate to mess-ups, to failures, to getting it wrong. God's grace impacts us in two huge ways here today. Church, for all of those who have turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus and you're walking with God, you would stand here today and say, I, was, I have been forgiven of my sins, yes, but regularly I have to pray and repent again. And it's the same grace that saved me is the same grace that sustains me. And so I want to encourage you, church, if you're experiencing a, th a failure to thrive, if you're experiencing some envy or some strife, if you're experiencing a lack of identity and forgetting who you are and you're caught up in some petty problems, take those to the Lord during this time right now and get those things right with God. But the same grace that sustains this church is the same grace that can save you from your sins. And maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, I, I've never trusted in Jesus. Well, what's beautiful about the foundation of Jesus Christ is it's laid for every single one of you right now. Whether you're watching this on live stream, whether you're here today, but if you've said, no, I've never, I've never begun walking with Jesus, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, the glory of the moment is that the foundation of Jesus has been laid for you. What Paul was saying to the Corinthians is true for us. Christ Jesus was born of a virgin, died or lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the, day, from the grave, and is alive today, seated at the throne, and he is saying, come follow me. Come follow me and I'll deliver you from your worldliness. I'll deliver you from the petty problems in your life. I'll deliver you from not being who God's called you to be. I will bring you. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will give you my grace. I will show you love and we will walk this walk together. So for anyone who says, yeah, I want that, I'm going to encourage with all heads bowed and eyes closed, simply say that to God. You can say it in your own words or you can pray with me. I'm going to lead a prayer. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just declaring truth. So if that's where you are this morning and you need to declare some truth and ask Jesus to become the Lord of your life, I encourage you to do that right now. Pray with me. God, I need you. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who you called me to be. I need you to forgive my sins and deliver me from them. I don't deserve grace, but Jesus offers it. He died for me. He rose from the dead. And now I want to live for him. Forgive me, God. Help me to thrive. 
Help me to mature. Help me to know who I am in Christ. I am yours, and you are my God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that, don't leave without telling me, please. Maybe you're nervous. That's okay. You can fill that out on a card. Hand it to somebody or drop it in the box, but here's the deal. It's the greatest life, the greatest adventure you'll ever go on is following Jesus. Let me pray for our church, and then let's sing. Lord, help us to remain unified as we go through the next season of our life in this church. Forgive us for where we're petty, where we have envy and strife. Help us to be a church that thrives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shelby's testimony with you. Shelby grew up in a home hearing about Christ. We talked about that before. You can't make someone grow. So parents just faithfully labor. Who knows? You might be watching their baptism uh, one day somewhere down the road. And so um, grew up knowing about Christ, uh, but never made the decision to know Christ. Um, got married very young at 18 years old to a military guy and uh, went through about 10 years of really hard, dark season of her life. And there was, uh, there was abuse, there was pain, there was regret, uh, but there was also this trap of not knowing how to get out. And by God's grace, um, she did get out, right? And, and so uh, after that took place, that's last year, that was last year. Um, I'm trying to make sure I have my, my timeline right. Uh, that was out. She's going through this struggle of, okay, now I'm on my own. I've got to find a place to live. And so she began looking at apartment after apartment after apartment after apartment. It just wasn't working out. And so she put in an offer. She went to go look at this house and she drives to go out in town. And sure enough, as soon as she gets too far away to make it to anything, they're like, hey, you're interested in the house. And they're like, ah, yes, I am. And so uh, in a funny moment of grace, had the ex go check it out for her and said it would work. And she said, yes, I'll, I'll take it. And she said she remembered, she wasn't even saved yet, but she remembered just looking up and praising God for how he worked that out for her. And then it was on your drive back from that trip that uh, <laughs> both windshield wipers fell off of her car in the middle of a rainstorm, so she had to stop. Uh, some people helped her, uh, or hold on, they, they fell off, and then the rain stopped. The rain stopped. rain stopped. She gets into town, she gets some new windshield wipers, and the rain starts immediately again and again it was just one of these like signposts on the way that God sees her God cares for her and God is going to make a way she said she remembered looking up again through the windshield saying like I'm just praising the Lord and then she began to seek Jesus on her own she began listening to some sermons or some podcasts and and just something was stirring in her where she was really being drawn to Jesus and she knew she needed redemption she knew she needed something and then and by God's grace, she got to meet a member of this church. And this member of this church, they began talking about the Bible together. And he was a faithfully evangelizing. And so it was in December, right? December that after hearing the gospel from a member of this church, she said, yes, Jesus, that's what I want. And she surrendered her life to Christ. And, and she said, as, 
uh, not only did he meet her where she was, but he's changing her. So uh, she's totally different with the language she uses at work, with the attitude she has at, has at work, and everything about her. Even in her quarterly review, her boss said, something's different about you, and we like it. And, and so she knows that Jesus has come in to be the Lord of her life and has forgiven her of her sins and is walking with her and is teaching her how to be more like Christ himself. And so uh, we are super excited to celebrate that testimony with you. I'm going to set this down real quick. Keep getting too close to that. Um, and so I don't know if this is hot or not. If it's not hot, it's Shannon's fault. It's warm? Okay. All right. Good job, Shannon. Um, we want to make some covenants here together. And so Shelby... Uh, do you make a covenant with Outfitter Church? Covenant is a biblical promise uh, to be discipled by us and to make disciples with us. Yes. Church, I'm going to ask you the same question and then I'll count to three. And you need to say yes as loud as possible. Uh, do you also make a deep covenant with her that you will disciple her and help her to make disciples with us? One, two, three. Yes. yes. Amen. All right, hop on in and face the hanger. That's good? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. All right, and you can go ahead. Since I already did all the speaking, you can go ahead and sit down. And... Oh, it's a <laughs> <laughs> Say, thanks a lot, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I guess I need to get down. Yeah. Oh, your, oh, yeah, your glasses. Ash, I know we can't be seen by the camera. Are you filming? Yes. Okay, awesome, great. So at least you can have this, memor this memory, okay? Um, Shelby, I baptize you, my sister, by your public profession in Christ Jesus, uh, or based upon your public profession in Christ Jesus, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in likeness of his death, and raised to walk in your life. 